Hey everybody, welcome. This is Table Talk, your healthy theological radio addiction. My name is Brent Kuhlman. I'm here with Adam Aline and Clint Poppy. We continue to rejoice in what Scripture teaches about the end times. Just a quick review, you know, the end times began when Jesus came, and the end times will last until he returns in glory or reveals himself in glory on the last day to judge the living and the dead. So in the days of Jesus, the last days began. In the days of the apostles, the last days continued. And we live in the last days. In other words, from first coming to second coming, these are the last days. Come, Lord Jesus, come quickly. Well, yeah, you, you've been uh, you've been through a lot of stuff here lately as a pastor, you know. So you know, sometimes we pray that the the, the early church prayed that because they were being persecuted and and uh, people were being martyred for the faith. And I, it's the end of the scriptures uh, teach us that prayer, and um, I think it's good for us to pray that. Then, if that's how scripture ends, that's how we live in these end times is continually praying that uh, we pray it in the Lord's prayer as well. Deliver us from evil, and that's why we go to communion because that's where Jesus answers the prayer until Judgment Day. <clears throat> And so he, yeah. he, for lack of better terminology, just run with it. Hey, let's have fun with it. Jesus answers our prayers. Come, Lord Jesus. And he comes in the Lord's Supper, and he is the judge of the living and the dead. And his judgment in the Lord's Supper is, yes, you're a sinner, but I forgive you. How do you know that? Well, I promise you that. I tell you that. And secondly, here's my body and blood that I offered on the cross for your salvation. Eat it and drink it. And I deliver that forgiveness in the Lord's Supper for you. And so the judge of the living and the dead issues the, the judgment day verdict ahead of time in the Lord's Supper, whereby when the last day comes, you know what the judgment will be because you've heard it all your life, acquitted, not guilty for Christ's sake. And that's throughout the whole service. The absolution is that. The, uh, the speaking of the absolution formally by the pastor is, is the judgment day verdict ahead of time. When I say ahead of time, I mean ahead of the last day. <laughs> My point is, is if you're picking up what I'm throwing down here, is that when the pastor speaks the absolution, I forgive you all your sins in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, that's not the pastor forgiving you. It's Christ who's forgiving you. I mean, he just uses the pastor's mouth to speak his words. It's Christ who's actually speaking these words to you. How do you know that? Because you're hearing his words. And so he's there with his words. And we even ask the question, right, do you believe this forgiveness is not mine but Christ's? Before we do the absolution, we do the extended uh, um, absolution from the, the hymnal. And this flows from Luke 10. He who hears you hears me. And notice it's always done in the name. And when the, the official acts of the pastor, A-C-T-S, the acts of the pastor are done in the triune name, well, you know, the Trinity is there doing the work and giving the gifts. So I want to repeat this because I think this is really delicious. This, when, this is why, this is why the, we don't despair. And we pray, come Lord Jesus, and we want him to come in glory on the last day, but we're not in charge of that. And so in the meantime, he comes among us, and he gives us his last day verdict of acquittal, not guilty, because I died for you. I st- I, I'm telling you. <laughs> you know, That's like in, in, in uh, the sermon that I'm going to preach on Wednesday night. <clears throat> um, uh, I'm going to actually explicitly forgive people their sins categorically. You know, it's one thing to just talk about it. <laughs> you know, I've made this distinction before. You know, you can talk about the forgiveness of sins, but it's one thing to actually give it. And that's what needs to be done by pastors. <clears throat> don't you, don't you do <clears throat> that we preach that way usually. <laughs> I was going to say, don't you do that every Sunday and every Wednesday, Pastor? Well, what I mean is it sounds, it sounds like the formal absolution at the beginning of the service. See? 
I mean, it's you and you do this, and I do it too. It's yeah, Jesus died for you, or forgiven. But I'm going to do it just more formally and categorically, so that it gets their attention. Wake up, folks! Wake up! Are you listening? I do that all the time. Are you listening? Wake up! Because everybody's sleeping by the time I are two minutes into the sermon. That's that's our society, you know. The, the the farmers and the workers they come and sit down for two minutes when the sermon begins. And they're all asleep because they've this is the first time in the week they've had a time to relax. <laughs> and they're they're, 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 they're probably not asleep, and they're probably not bowing their heads in prayer. They're probably checking their Facebook page <laughs> on their smartphone and trying to be clever and coy about it. I should try that in the pulpit. See how yeah. that works. Um, yeah, I, I'm sure you get away with it. You Matthew. wouldn't be the only one in your church service, I guarantee it. Well, Matthew 24, Jesus speaks about the last day. And he speaks about the signs that will precede the last day. And it's very interesting that Matthew 24 and its parallels, Mark 13 and Luke 21, speak of this. And this is one of the most prominent portions of scriptures that speak about the signs of the last days and the last day itself. And this is going to be a lot of fun. So let's go to Matthew 24. Again, this is continuing with our talking Uh, based upon the Apostles' Creed that confesses that on the last day, Jesus will come to judge the living and the dead. So we're learning what Scripture teaches about these things. So, Adam, if you'd take verses 1 through 2 to start, please. Matthew 24, verses 1 through 2. Jesus left the temple and was going away when his disciples came to point out to him the buildings of the temple. But he answered them, You see all these, do you not? Truly I say to you, there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. So what is Jesus promising here? He's promising what? Immediately the destruction of the temple, which is fulfilled in 70 AD. And even if you go to Jerusalem now, you can see where they've excavated and the pavement stones, the sidewalk, if you will, underneath has been all crashed and wrecked, and the stones that they threw down in 70 AD are still sitting there. You can see them right where they landed at that time. How about that? Kind of crazy to think about. So he promises that the the temple will be destroyed. Not one stone will be left upon another. Now, if you're a Hebrew and you hear Jesus say this, you're going to equate, I mean, naturally in your mind, you're going to equate the destruction of the temple with what? You're going to equate it with what? The last day. This is the end. The last day, uh, God being defeated, uh, the temple, which is the place where God dwells. Uh, If that is gone, God has removed his presence from us. I think all of those things are going to be kind of uh, coming to mind, uh, trying to figure out what Jesus is even talking about. Yeah, and, and, and see, you remember in John 2 that Jesus says, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. And, of course, uh, the evangelist then inserts the explanation that he was talking about his body, namely in John 2, destroy this temple, and in three days I'll raise it up. Jesus was talking about his suffering and death because he now is the temple. He is now the dwelling of God on the earth physically in his flesh. So now there's no need for what? Because he is the temple. There's no need for a building anymore, is there? I was going to say it's kind of a fulfillment as well of uh, what happens. I believe it's in the book of Ezekiel when the glory of the Lord leaves the temple. And then you have in Ezra and Nehemiah where they rebuild a new temple and everyone's sad because it's not as glorious as Solomon's temple. And also the glory of the Lord never dwells there. And uh, this is then the temple that Jesus is visiting. Of course, it's been rebuilt by King Herod the Great, uh, still under construction at the time of Jesus, in fact. But um, the glory of the Lord never comes 
comes back to dwell in the new temple, even as glorious as Herod rebuilds it. And that's because it's dwelling there in Jesus, in the flesh, in that area. And that's the irony here, I think. Now, let's see, let's see if uh, there's the connection made by the disciples in what I just said. Namely, when Jesus says that the temple's going to be destroyed, they're automatically going to think, well, this is going to be the last day. This will be end the end. End of the world. So, Adam, read the next verse, verses uh, 3, just verse 3. That'll, get, that'll clinch it. And Jesus sat on the Mount of Olives. The disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us, when will these things be, and what will be the sign of your coming and the close of the age? See, there you go. They associate the destruction of the temple with the last day. Similarly, as the Old Testament prophets, when, when the Old Testament prophets would, would preach the word of God and they would talk about the coming of the Messiah, they would equate it with the last day. You know, the sun would be darkened, the stars would fall from the sky, and it would be the end. Well, Messiah comes, but the world continues. There is fulfillment, but not without remainder. There is still more to come. And that's what we're going to learn here. This is critical in understanding Matthew 24 and the parallels, Mark 13 and Luke 21, that what Jesus says about the destruction of the temple and the last day, there is fulfillment of these things, but there are remainder to come until the last day happens. Watch how this works. In other words, when Jesus will be talking about the destruction of the temple, he's talking about the a foretaste or a sign of what it will be like on the last day. And he's going to talk about other signs that will be happening that will be a foretaste of the last day. Namely, you're living in the last days, folks, and the last day is coming, so be prepared. Is it the point of a sign to uh, get your attention? To uh, you know, like you you were talking about your sermon on Wednesday night, how you're gonna you're gonna do something a little bit out of the ordinary to wake people up, to wake people up from their sleep, and isn't isn't that why Jesus is continually pointing people to these signs so that they notice, figure it out, lift up their heads, uh, rather than you know uh, worry, feel sorry for themselves when these things happen. The end is near. Lift up your heads. That's exactly. God is at hand. And the, and the destruction of the temple would be a huge, huge thing. I mean, that, that would get your attention. And when Jesus says this is going to happen, you say, whoa, whoa, whoa. This is serious business here. So again, the verse says, tell us. Interesting, they take Jesus aside privately, isn't it? <laughs> to the woodshed? <laughs> well, I don't know if it's that, but it could be that this is so important, you know, this is a really important thing that we're talking about. So let's see if we got this straight, Jesus. So they ask him, tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming and the close of the age? And then Jesus begins to give us signs about what it will be like living in the last days uh, as the last day will approach. So, Adam, take verses 4 and following, would you please? And Jesus answered them, See that no one leads you astray. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are but the beginning of the birth pains. That's critical. So you have have certain things that Jesus says, false Christ, don't let them lead you astray. And that's what he starts with, which I think indicates how important it is for us to 
be alert for that and to pay attention to his words so that we're not led astray. He says a couple times here to start this whole discussion about the end times. And here's, here, I know we're running out of time before we go to break, but the false Christ leading people astray. You remember Bar Kokhba? Yes, yep. yes. All right, he came and said, I'm, AD. I'm the Christ. And he led many people into destruction. And the Romans came. Was uh, was it Masada? Was he part of the Masada thing? Nope. That was uh, Masada was in the seventy A.D. Uh, rebellion. Okay. And uh, so that was put down by Titus. But the Bar Kokhba thing came later. That was one thirties A.D. But if I remember correctly, he said, "I'm the Messiah. Follow me." And there's actually other rebellions or uh, riots like this that are mentioned as well. Uh, for example, in the Book of Acts, when they're uh, Looking back, they remember another guy named Jesus, in fact, that led a rebellion and said, I was the Christ, and God took care of it. Uh, and I uh, can't remember the other guy's name, but uh, there's two of them that are mentioned in the book of Acts as well. Wars, rumors of wars. Don't be alarmed, but the end isn't yet. Nation against nation, kingdom against kingdom, famines, earthquakes. But Jesus says those are the birth pains. And if you're a woman and you've been pregnant, and you know what the birth pains are, that means the birth is imminent. When birth, came, birth pains come, you know the birth is going to take place really soon. And these signs that Jesus gives remind us that when you see these things happening, and we see this all the time, that the, 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 the end is very, very near. I hear the music, so we're going to take a break. So hang on tight, folks. We'll come back. So hold my hand, i walk with you, my dear. The stars creak, I should sleep, it's key. You are listening to KNNALP 95.7 FM, Lincoln, Nebraska. Welcome back, everybody, to Table Talk. This really is your healthy theological radio addiction. Clint Poppy's here with me, and so is Adam Moline. Just by way of reminder, I serve Trinity Lutheran Church just north of Murdoch, Nebraska. And uh, Poppy and Moline, they serve Good Shepherd here in Lincoln. Good to be back with you again. Matthew 24, Jesus talks about the destruction of the temple. And the disciples ask, well, when are these things going to happen, and when will the end come? And then Jesus mentions geopolitical conflicts and natural disasters, but these things are just simply, and false prophets, false Christs, these things are just the birth pains. Just, uh, but nonetheless, it's coming. Okay? And then Jesus is going to mention something else now that's a sign of living in the last days before the end comes, and it's going to be the church being persecuted. Now, Clint, I know you said you were going to be honoring well, this I segment, I, I, so before you're smiling. We, and before we get into the uh, persecution of the church, which I, I have a lot of honoring us to talk about, um, you know, with o- this whole uh, coronavirus, uh, woo, flu, whatever you want to call it, uh, that's going on in our world, um, obviously this is exactly what Jesus was talking about with the wars and rumors of wars because China is working through both political parties to take over the America. Uh, China is uh, plotting and scheming war. China is continuing to launch rockets and tests and things like that. And so uh, when I look at the headlines in my Lincoln Journal Star or Omaha World Herald or whatever newspaper you're looking at, um, 
This is obviously what Jesus is talking about, this coronavirus war thing that's taking over the whole world, right? And so be prepared. That's the whole point with Jesus giving us these signs. He, he promises he will return on the last day to judge the living and the dead. That's what the Apostle Creed faithfully confesses. And so there are signs. Jesus tells us there are birth pains. So be ready because I'm coming. But you told me Ebola was a sign, and you told me H1N1 was a sign, and you told me that bird flu was a sign, and you told me that the Spanish influenza outbreak in the uh, early 20th century was a sign, and the Black Plague that Luther dealt with was a sign. Uh, I'm confused. Why? Why are you confused? Teach me. Teach me. Uh, I thought, so shouldn't Jesus have come 500 years ago, 100 years ago, three years ago? What is the purpose of these signs if Jesus isn't coming back immediately? So that you are prepared. So that as we talked about, I think, in a previous episode, when the Son of Man returns, will he find what? Faith. So that's the point. That's the point. So that you'll be a faither, a truster in him. So, so would it be accurate for me to say then, Pastor, that Jesus gives these signs because he wants everyone to know that they are living in the last days. He wants everyone to lift up their eyes. He wants everyone to be prepared today. Yeah, that's why Peter says in in his epistle, and I'm paraphrased, there's only one reason why the world continues. It's so that people can be led to repentance, and the heart of repentance is faith. That's why the world continues. Uh, Let me put it another way. Uh, this is how I like to say it when people ask similar questions like you just raised, is what runs the history of the world? I mean, is it just, is it just serendipitous events that... No, I, I think Daniel's uh, very clear on this, that God is working behind all the events that are taking place. I mean, we can, if we wanted to get ones that were clear about because of Daniel and because of uh, the Gospels as well. We see um, God raising up the Roman Empire so that there's roads so that the people can go and preach the Gospel in all these places. And uh, so even the crazy events like the assassination of Julius Caesar, God is behind the scenes working through these events to allow the preaching of the Gospel to come forth in future generations. Right. I'm going to piggyback on what you just said, Adam, because that's just excellent. And I'm going to reference Jeremiah. I, I could talk this topic all day long. <laughs> Ask Pastor Bobby. <laughs> That's in his wheelhouse. Yeah. Well, we should let you talk about it all and, day and long. And here I thought it was the Illuminati that was behind everything. <laughs> the See, Masons? Isn't, isn't this what, you know, popular culture would teach you? You know, you turn on the TV and you've got Tom Hanks running around and hiding from the Illuminati. And I mean, it, the, people fall for this stuff. Or, and or, they don't want to believe God is in control. Or it's just simply a, survi- a secular election. I said a secular way of election. Survival of the fittest. I mean, when, when the church and the Bible and God get thrown out of, uh, uh, out of our discussion or culture or whatever, it's interesting that Charles Darwin and his theory of evolution filled the vacuum. And so on the one hand, the church for generations would teach about election, Right? Election. And uh, so uh, when that gets thrown out, guess what? Charles Darwin's secular type of election gets thrown in. It's called survival of the, the fittest. Or it's just simply people think that the history of the world is just simply serendipitous accidental events. 
Now, what I'm doing here is I, I wanted to say, we'll take it to Jeremiah, for example, as an example of where I'm going, piggyback on what Adam just said. As you remember, well, let me give the answer, and then I'll, I'll give you the illustration from Jeremiah. Here's what runs the history of the world. You're right, it's God does, through his word, through his word. So, for example, in Jeremiah, God says, Jeremiah, you're going to be my prophet. You're going to preach my word. And what will happen when you preach my word? Kingdoms will be overthrown. They will be uprooted. And my kingdom will be established. Nations will fall. Nations will rise. Why? For the whole purpose of, as you mentioned, so that the, the Messiah will come, etc. Now the Messiah has come. And the word continues to go out. And so the history of the world revolves around one thing the word of God being proclaimed in the world. That is to say, why are things happening in the world the way they do, for example, like in Western Europe? Well, generally speaking, the Western Europeans have rejected the word of God. So there are certain things happening in Western Europe. God is moving people into Western Europe. Like there's always, God's always been moving people all throughout the world, various regions of the world to another, to have his way. Namely, so that people can be brought to repentance. So Western Europe in general has rejected the gospel. And so what's God doing? He's bringing people from all over the world to Western Europe. Now, on the one hand, it could, it could be very negative and bad for the Western Europeans. On the other hand, it could be another thing that God is doing, namely in Berlin. You all know St. Mary's Kirche in Berlin and the pastor there, don't you? Gottfried Martins. You've heard of him. I've met him. Okay. And I've corresponded with him over the years. And uh, I've never met him, but I've corresponded with him. But he's been telling everyone one of the, what's happening is God. that Muslims are being brought to Western right. Europe. Because we can't go there without getting beheaded. Yeah, and they're, they're either being converted through the preaching of the gospel or they are, they've already been converted through the preaching of the gospel like in Iraq or Iran or Syria or Kuwait or whatever that may be, wherever they're at. And then they come to Germany and they seek a pastor to baptize them. And give them the Lord's Supper so they can be in fellowship with fellow Christians in a church. In other words, what I'm saying is, is what runs the history of the world? The Word of God does. People's reaction to it either in faith or unbelief. And God continues to work things at the world so that people have the opportunity to hear the Word of God, be repented, and faith. I'm just piggybacking on that. You know, uh, Pastor, when you when you talk about this uh this marvelous miracle of faith that's happening in parts of Europe where where Muslims and and other non-Christians are hearing the gospel and being converted it uh, it makes me grieve the situation in our own country in our own communities and in our own churches where where people are so lukewarm to the word of God where uh, someone, would have membership in a Christian church, but for years and years and years would never step foot inside the word or inside the church, um, as if the word of God is a nothing. And uh, how does that tie in with what we're talking about here, with these signs uh, of the end of the world and people claiming to be Christians, but in essence forsaking the faith? Well, uh, Jesus talks about this in Matthew 24. Let me find the verse. Uh, da, 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 da. Let's see here. I was trying to set the table for you. Well, that's all right. Uh, is it Matthew 24? The love of many will grow cold. Is that in Matthew 24? 
Yeah, right. It's it's verse 12. This is to answer your question. Because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. Many will fall away. Jesus says in verse 10, they will betray one another and hate one another. That's your answer. So in other words, why, why in our decadent culture, uh, and I mean that, <laughs> I mean, we are so decadent <laughs> with our wealth and spare time, etc. We have become so decadent that, yeah, there's lots of immorality. There's lots of really heinous sins that go on in the world. But you know what the biggest sin of all is? Is what you just mentioned. Apathy. Apathy to yep. the word of God. Yep. And the deaf dullness and deadness to the word of God. You know, it's it's amazing to me that, you know, we've had all these different, you know, first 500 gathering and then 200 gathering and then 50 and then 10. Who knows where it'll end with the whole coronavirus thing. But the people who are fighting to come to church and hear the word of God are the sick, the elderly, the infirm. And so many young people, um, it's just not that big a deal. They've got Netflix. They've got Pornhub. Uh, sports is gone. But they can sit home and for hours upon hours upon hours be entertained, sometimes in their own perversion. But to just be completely apathetic or lukewarm to the Word of God. And as a pastor, it's heartbreaking. Oh, yeah. and But this is nothing new. So we do our work. We commend what we do to the Lord. And we're like Moses. We, we simply say, they're your people, Lord. You died for them. You baptized them. I'm doing my work. Have mercy on them. Lord, have mercy on them. Bring them back. Use something or someone to break their, idol- their idolatry and their idols so that they can come back and hear the gospel. Be repented, faith and lead holy lives according to your word. So people should not be discouraged if I'm hearing you right, because if the signs of the end of the age with regard to wars and rumors of wars and all these things have been going on all throughout the history of the church because God wants us to be prepared now, people should not be discouraged when they see people falling away from the faith because Christ has said this is a, again the beginning of the birth pains this is nothing new it can grieve us but this does not in any way shape or form take away from the power of the word and the power of the gospel am i hearing that correctly yeah Pastor? and i know we're running out of time so we'll talk about this jesus actually gives us a promise in verse 14 and he says this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world that's a promise of the lord jesus christ so you don't despair because the gospel will be proclaimed. Uh, how much time do we have? Can I say uh, more about this? Or uh, not? you got about 20 seconds. Well, let me just tease everybody with this. Uh, I think we've kind of misunderstood that verse in Matthew 24. This gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. This isn't, now get to work as fast as you can so you can bring about the last day. No, this is a promise in the context of the church being persecuted and trying to be put to death that, yes, the gospel will be proclaimed. Trust me. In the meantime, stay Lutheran, my friends. So